0: I grew up in a church community where finding out God's will was a big deal. I mean, imagine the horror of living your whole life and then discovering you had missed God's will for you. So we spent a lot of time and energy trying to get clear on God's will for us. I don't think our urgency was warranted. Today, I want to share with you my stress-free guide for finding God's will. Hey friends, I'm Mark Chelsky, and this is The Apprenticeship Way, a podcast about spiritual growth following the way of Jesus. This is episode 28, Don't Stress About God's Will. Now, before we get started today, I want to mention a book that I would really like you to take a look at. I recently finished reading Andy Kolber's new book called Try Softer. And I want to wholeheartedly recommend it to you. This is not an ad. I am not associated with Andi. I'm a friend of hers on Twitter. I don't get anything from making this recommendation. I am telling you about this book because I honestly believe you need to read it. This is by far the best, most helpful book I have ever read about the intersection of mental health and faith. And that's coming from someone who wrote a book about this very same subject. This is a book that I will be keeping a stock of on my shelf to give to people that I work with as a pastor. If you struggle with a critical inner voice or self-sabotaging behavior, or if you're in the process of recovery, if you're not happy with the state of your relationships, if, if you've been thinking about seeing a therapist but you don't know where to start, or maybe you have stories that you've been told about how therapy and faith don't work together, how getting a counselor is maybe uh, demonstrating that you don't have enough belief or trust in God. If you come to this from that perspective, get this book. If you want to learn more about how your brain works and how your emotions are a part of your God-designed system for healing and growth, get this book. If you are a pastor or a counselor or a peer support person or you work with people in any way and you want to understand how you can engage them more constructively, get this book. If you're a parent and you'd like to improve your relationships with your kids, get this book. Seriously, you're a human, which means you have a brain and a limbic system. And you're listening to this podcast, which means that you want to grow as a person and in your faith. That means you are the kind of person this book is for. In this book, Andi is gentle and kind. The book is full of solid, tested truth. It's got practical tools and exercises that you can use right away. It will help you see yourself, including your emotional reactions, even the difficult ones, pain and trauma, in a new and very helpful way. So go get it. I cannot recommend this book enough. There'll be links in the show notes to where you can get it. You can get it anywhere. I'm not getting anything from saying this other than telling you this is an amazing resource. I want you to have it. All right onward. Now as I said at the start, I grew up in a church community where God's will was a tangible, objective thing. It seemed like God's hand rested heavy on the world and we had our part to play in God's mission. And that meant discovering God's will for our lives was crucial, maybe the most important thing. You didn't want to waste your life living outside of God's will, Now, of course, certain aspects of God's will were crystal clear. Murder and lying, even disobeying your parents, those things are outside of God's will. There's verses of Scripture that say so. Our particular uh, community growing up had a few additions that we added. It wasn't God's will to drink alcohol or go to movies or for boys and girls to be alone together until they got married. We had a whole list. Maybe you had a similar list growing up. Well, as I grew up, conversations about God's will began to extend to major life decisions, who to date at first, and then ultimately who to marry, uh, what college to go to, what major to take, what career to pursue, where to move in the country. I mean, if you loved God and you wanted to please God with your life, it could become quite stressful trying to sort through all of the possibilities. And for some of the more sensitive among us, it could be very guilt-inducing too. I mean, there were always folks in the community who talked about their ironclad sense of God's will for their lives, but what if you didn't feel that way? What then? Was it because you weren't listening enough to hear God's voice, or maybe you weren't praying in the right way, or journaling correctly, or maybe it was because of sin in your life and God was just not talking to you, leaving to your own devices? I mean, that's all scary stuff. But looking back, I feel sad at how much stress was piled on top of good people who just loved God and wanted to please God with their lives. Have you ever felt that kind of stress? Well, today I'm in a different place, a different community of faith, a different theological framework, much different level of emotional health. And while so much has changed, I still believe that God's will is a real thing. It's just not so stressful for me as it once was. So here today, I'm gonna share with you my stress-free guide for discovering God's will for your life, seriously first, don't sweat the obvious stuff. Let's just admit up front that there are some things that are just not foggy when it comes to knowing God's will. If scripture speaks uniformly and encourages or discourages a certain direction in life, start there. Now, be careful. I'm not suggesting that you take one isolated verse from the back corner of the Bible out of context to apply to your specific circumstance or God's will for everyone be mindful that God in Scripture gives instructions in specific times and specific places that weren't meant to be universal. And above all, make sure that you're reading all of Scripture with Jesus as the ultimate interpreter. So here's an important example. There's a whole bunch of laws in Leviticus that some Christians love to cite today when they tell other people what God's will is for their lives. Well, those laws were given to the ancient Hebrew tribes as the foundation for a new culture following generations of slavery. That's not our situation. Now, some of the principles behind those laws may persist, but just remember that unless you're a wandering Hebrew on your way into Canaan, those laws were not written directly to you. On the other hand, when Jesus says to love your enemies, like in Matthew 5.44, or to treat others the way you want to be treated. Like in Matthew seven twelve, those words were specifically given to followers of Jesus. That's, that's us, right? So you can bet those words are for you too. So following this principle, it's probably never God's ideal for you to kill someone or steal their stuff or undermine their marriage relationship. And it's probably always God's will for you to love your neighbor as yourself and to walk humbly and to love mercy and to care for the least of these. Now just that one principle, don't sweat the obvious stuff, it covers an awful lot of life. It doesn't cover everything. Contrary to what I was taught as a child, the Bible does not literally address every possible situation. That's not its job. So what do we do if we have big life direction kinds of questions and we want to know God's will? I mean, scripture doesn't address your college plans or who you should marry or even if you should marry at all. There's no biblical verse that says moving to Kentucky will further God's plan in your life more so than living in Oregon. Does God even care about these kinds of decisions? Can we know God's direction when we make big choices like this? Well, I think we can get some direction and in some cases even have pretty clear guidance. But it's going to take some humility and it's going to take some wisdom. My second principle is this. More spiritual heads are better than one. I think the most consistent way to get clear on God's will is to seek it in community with others that you trust spiritually. Proverbs 11.14 suggests that deliverance comes with many counselors. I'm not saying that your pastor or your small group should get the final say on important life decisions. That's not healthy. It can easily become spiritual abuse. If you're in a community where they tell you that a pastor, an elder, or some kind of leader needs to sign off on all your life decisions, that's a big red flag. You should get out of that space. On the other hand, if you have a community of trusted spiritual friends who really know you, they've walked with you for a while, they know your heart, and they have their own growing relationships with God, then you would do well to consider their input and their questions. It's very hard to see ourselves and our choices objectively. Even those of us who go by gut feelings, it's hard to know for sure because that gut is ours. Trusted people outside of our heads can often see our choices with better clarity than we can ourselves. At the very least, they can ask us questions we should be considering. It's a gift to be able to hear a group of people who know you and love you say, you know what? this path that you're considering, it really seems to be in line with our sense of who God made you to be. That's incredible confirmation. Now, the next principle is something it took me a long time to learn. When you're thinking about God's will, consider the trajectory rather than the circumstances. Consider trajectory rather than circumstances. Here's what I mean. When we're making a major life decision, we're automatically thinking about the outcome. Move to take this job or stay and take this one. Spend money in this way or save it for this other thing. Take an opportunity or pass it by. There's always at least a couple tangible outcomes on the table in our decisions. That's where we focus naturally. But focusing on the outcome alone can cause us to miss one of the most significant points of input about God's work in our lives, our past. See, I believe God's been present and at work in your life through the Spirit all along. Now, sometimes you may have noticed this through past experiences of guidance. And many times, if you're like me at all, you probably didn't notice, at least until much, much later. But it's often the case that the trajectory of your life, or the course of your growth is another way to think of it, has led you in a certain direction. That trajectory can be very helpful when you think about your next life decision, How did you get here? In what ways has God worked in your past up until now? What unexpected turning points have shaped you? More often than not, decisions that I need to make just make more sense when I consider them in light of the trajectory of my life and spiritual growth. This gets at another important point. When we pray and ask God for guidance, very often what we're praying for is focused on a particular moment in time, but I suspect God is much more concerned about who we are becoming over time than God is about solving a specific problem for us that comes up in one particular moment. So how does this new opportunity align with the course of God's work in your life to this point? How does it align with your character growth and your spiritual growth and the things that you've been learning and how you've been prepared? And bottom line, If God has been at work in your life all along, which I believe is true, then the trajectory of your life has meaning that's worth paying attention to. Here's another principle to consider. Look for settledness rather than certainty. Settledness rather than certainty. When we pray for God's guidance in our lives, the thing that most of us want is certainty. We want a sense of certainty about our decision. We'd like to believe that God gave us that certainty so that our hearts can rest, we can be peaceful about something we need to do. If we feel certainty, then we'll stop feeling agitated, right? We can be at rest. But what if the path ahead is a difficult one? What if the right choice is going to be painful? What if we never get a clear sense of certainty? Does that mean that God's not involved? I suspect that instead of looking for certainty in order to give us peace, we would do better to look for a sense of settledness. So what's the difference? Settledness is not certainty, not in the sense that we're sure that the chosen outcome is the right one or even the best one. Settledness is not the kind of peace that comes from knowing nothing difficult or painful is coming our way. Settledness is the sense that whatever comes as a result of this decision, whatever it costs me, this is the path I'm led on. This is the path I've chosen. My heart's settled. Even if it's difficult, this is where I ought to go. Settledness is what I depend on when I think about difficult conversations I need to have. I hate conflict. I hate that twisty gut feeling. Part of my baggage is an unhealthy need for people to be happy with me. If I'm not conscious of these factors in my life, I might miss the right path. I could pray for God's guidance, and then when I feel all kinds of inner turbulence, I could decide that that's, well, probably just God leading me to avoid that difficult conversation. Maybe it's the spirit moving in me, right? Only that self-justification. Chances are good I might be interpreting my own unhealthy emotional reaction as the movement of the spirit. I know that happens all the time. So in this sort of situation, I'm probably not going to feel peace about going into this conversation. I feel a little twisted up inside. I feel a little anxious. That's because of my own baggage. And so I've learned that I can feel discomfort about a potentially difficult decision or conversation I need to have and still feel settledness in my heart. I'm not certain the outcome will be good. After all, I'm not in control of how other people respond to me, right? You know how that goes. I'm not at peace. Because the whole thing makes me a little antsy, a little anxious, but I am settled because it seems to be the path that aligns with what I understand God's will to be. It aligns with other-centered, co-suffering love. It seems to be living like Jesus, and I'm settled that it's the right direction for me to take, even though I'm not certain about the outcome. That point leads right to the next principle. Your desire to run away is not usually God's will. So you and I are wired up to avoid discomfort. The limbic system is designed to keep us alive, and our emotional responses, which are part of the limbic system, give us valuable cues to help us avoid danger. That's all good stuff. But the same desire to avoid discomfort can become a roadblock in the path of our growth or relational intimacy or spiritual maturity. So when we're wondering about God's will, I suspect we need to be a little cynical about our own desire to escape upcoming pain or discomfort. So if your heart's clearest urgent plea is to run away from a situation, you might need to take a moment to check out why, maybe even get some counsel from outside your own head. I mean, if you're in a situation where you're literally in harm's way, or if you're in a relationship that's toxic, or if your church is spiritually abusive, or you're having a PTSD response to something, fine, run away now and get the help that you need to sort that through and find healing. Your intuition to run in that case is probably in keeping with God's will for you. But if the circumstance is one where you're being asked to stretch and grow, where you might find yourself out of your depth, where you might need to rely on faith and trust more than ever before, then your intuition to run away may just be self-centered fear. And if you run, you might just run away from something that will help you grow. I've been slowly learning this in my own life especially in matters of relationship, when my motivation is avoidance, I'm usually getting off track with what I think God's will is for my life and my relationships. All right, here's the last principle. And this one is honestly a tough pill to swallow. Consider that what you're praying about might not matter that much to God in the long run. I know that sounds harsh. And I don't mean to say that God doesn't love you or care about your circumstances. Not at all. I think I think you and your circumstances matter because God is love and God loves you. But I'm getting within spitting distance of 50 years old, and I've come to suspect that most of the time, God is just not as worked up about the things that concern me most. If you're a parent, you've seen some version of this between you and your kids. You've seen your kid get completely end over end about something in their life going wrong, just losing their minds about it. And you feel for them that... Because you don't want them to have that experience of sadness or anger, but at the very same time, you also know things they don't know. You know that the broken toy is easily fixed. You know that the reason that you said no to ice cream for dessert is because grandma is on her way over with a fresh baked pie. You know the whole thing your child is upset about is really a misunderstanding. Now, that doesn't make your kids' grief or anger any less real. It doesn't make it not a powerful experience in their lives. And it certainly doesn't mean that you don't care about their circumstances. It just means that you know there are bigger things that matter more. When we pray to know God's will for us, we're very often focused on an outcome or a circumstance. When most of the time I think God is focused on our character and relationships, We want God to guide us through uncertainty. Sometimes we pray for God to remove some kind of pain or challenge that we're facing. But I suspect God is more concerned with what will grow us up, Ephesians 4, what will mature us in the image of Christ. We want certainty. God wants relational growth. We want intervention. God wants maturity. So as you pray for God's will, it might be worthwhile to consider which path will lead to stronger relationship or deeper trust or greater growth in the image of Christ. So, here's my six-point low-stress plan for knowing God's will. One, don't sweat the obvious stuff. If something is repeatedly covered in Scripture and in alignment with Jesus' way, like not lying or not murdering, just assume that's God's will for you. Two, Get counsel from people you trust spiritually. More heads are better than one, especially if those people are spiritually mature and have practiced listening for the Spirit's lead, and they know you and love you. Three, consider trajectory rather than circumstances. Pay attention to how you got where you are and what God seems to have been doing in your life up to this point. That means something. Four, look for settledness rather than certainty. Certainty is often a trap, especially if we have to have it in order to feel peaceful. Five, be suspicious of your desire to run away. Stop and consider why you are feeling it. If you're trying to avoid a hard decision or a difficult relationship or something that will stretch you, your desire to run may not be from God. I'm not telling you to stay in toxic or abusive situations at all, but if it's not that kind of a situation, maybe you need to think about why you want to run away. Six, focus on character and relationships. Consider the possibility that the circumstance you're praying about may not be as high a priority to God as it is to you. Maybe God is more concerned about what will help you grow. Maybe the clearest lens for discovering God's will is simply Jesus' words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then remember that, the God's will doesn't always mean winning or being comfortable or coming out on top. 1 Thessalonians 4:3 puts it quite bluntly. It is God's will that you would be sanctified. Now that old word means that you would be made holy. If the thing you're looking at helps you grow in the image of Christ, and maybe it's God's will for you. May you be freed from the stress of constantly worrying about whether you're following God's will, and may you grow in your ability to hear the Spirit calling you into greater and greater maturity. Thanks for listening. You'll find the show notes for today's episode and any links that I mentioned at www.martalanchelsky.com forward slash TAW028. If you want a regular infusion of good stuff for your spiritual growth, then subscribe to my email list. I email about twice a month with maybe a new blog post or a link to the latest podcast episode, including links to other things that might be of benefit to your spiritual journey, like that book I mentioned at the top, Try Softer from Andy Colbert. It's a great book. You should get it. And of course, if you found this podcast helpful, then please do all the things. Subscribe in your podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Subscribe on YouTube if you prefer video, you can see my face. Rate and review so that it shows up in the algorithm for other people who are looking for podcasts. But most importantly, more than any of that, if you found this episode helpful, share it with someone that you think will benefit. That is how podcasts grow, and it won't happen without you. I appreciate so much you being here, you listening, and you sharing. Until next time, remember this. In this one present moment, you are loved, you are known, and you are not alone.